was just getting all of my self-worth from other people and always having to be in relationships and always having to be talking to people on the side to really just make me feel like I had this web of people who needed me and wanted me so that I would really never feel alone. And it wasn't until I hit my rock bottom that I even heard of sex and love addiction for the first time. Welcome to Taboo Tuesday on the Emotionally Fit Podcast. I'm Dr. Emily Anhalt, and I've always loved talking about taboo subjects, sex, money, drugs, death, because being a therapist has taught me that the feelings we're most hesitant to talk about are also the most normal. So join me as we flex our feels by diving into things you might not say out loud, but you're definitely not the only one thinking. Quick disclaimer that nothing in this podcast should be taken as professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Because while I am a therapist, I'm not your therapist, and I'm not my guest therapist. So this is intended only to spark interesting conversation. Thanks for tuning in. Hey there, Fit fans. I'm here today for a Taboo Tuesday episode with Mason Spector, co-founder of mental health clothing brand Mad Happy. Mason is 28 years old and lives in Los Angeles, California. He co-founded Mad Happy back in 2017 with his childhood friends. And as someone who has struggled with mental health issues for a lot of his life, he's used his own experiences to build this next-generation lifestyle brand that helps to create a conversation around mental health. Mad Happy is positioned at the intersection of culture and impact and has grown into this global brand looking to really spread its mission to every corner of the globe. Today, we will be talking about the stigma of men's mental health, and Mason will be sharing a little about his own struggles with love and sex addiction. Mason, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Before we dive into the meat of things, I'm curious if you can tell us a little about yourself and your journey to getting where you are today. For sure. Um, Well, I started Mad Happy with a few of my partners who are actually some of my best friends. We actually just celebrated our five-year anniversary in April, which is pretty crazy. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. And Mad Happy is this brand that we built around positivity and creating conversation around mental health. And for me, our mission is really personal. I'm someone who's really struggled with a lot of mental health issues my entire life, moved around a lot as a kid, had a pretty turbulent family of origin. And I think that led to a lot of my issues. And then, you know, I was never considered myself to be smart. I always really struggled in school. And after dropping out of college, I tried to start one clothing company with one of my current partners, Noah. And after that kind of flamed out, there was a little bit of success that we experienced. And it was kind of like just enough spark to get us to keep going. And how Mad Happy came to be was I was in somewhat of a period of depression back in late 2016. I had dropped out of college. I didn't really have any direction. I was kind of struggling with just what I wanted to do in life. And I thought of this word, Mad Happy, and it kind of stopped me dead in my tracks and, and felt really powerful. And to me, really encapsulated the essence of life and really gave me permission to kind of be sad and be in the moment of suffering that I was in. And I think that the lesson that I learned from that is that it's such an inevitable part of life and something that we'll all experience. You know, it's inevitable that we'll have really sad days and go through hard times. And I think the more that we can 
pay attention to that and really honor those times. We can just learn so much more about ourselves, about each other, about the world, and therefore really be able to grow and evolve and become better people and like truer versions of ourselves. Uh, so that was just kind of the inspiration for the brand. And then since then, we've really grown a lot. I think people have really responded to the mission and the type of products and experiences and content that we create. So we feel like we're just getting started, but it's been a, it's been a wild ride so far. What does the term mad happy mean to you? Yeah, to me, it kind of means like the ups and downs of life, you know, almost if life is like this, this two-sided coin and it's not like a competition or one side is better than the other or we're striving to only be happy, right? It's a really kind of realistic and like comprehensive look at the full spectrum of life and the full spectrum of emotion. And I think just allowing ourselves to have that like 360 degree experience and most importantly, just really being honest with ourselves about whatever's going on and like how we're feeling, um, then we're living a mad happy life. So I think it's really like just being true to yourself and having that integrity and honoring whatever it is that you're going through. Well, I know that one of the things you speak out about a lot, which is the taboo topic of the day, is men's mental health. And of course, I have my ideas about this, but why do you think there is still so much stigma around mental health, particularly for men? And what did your journey with that look like? Yeah, I mean, I consider myself kind of lucky in that regard. I was primarily raised by my mom and my grandmother and a lot of women, and I feel like I'm naturally somewhat empathetic and sensitive in my character. So I think I never really inhibited a lot of those like traditional, more manly qualities. And I think, you know, I became much more kind of emotional and in tune with my feelings and these sorts of things. But at the same time, I grew up with four brothers and sisters and was very like active as a kid. So then I also kind of love playing sports and love playing video games and, you know, all of these other things that you might consider quote unquote normal for guys. So then in my kind of young adult and early 20s, I realized what was so special about my experience was that I was really able to do both. And looking back with a lot of kids and when we're growing up, it seems like we're trying to so hard to fit in that we really have to label ourselves and identify ourselves as like one thing, right? All the classic archetypes, you know, a jock, a nerd, a, a cheerleader, like all these different things. And I feel like that's really limiting and that's really not accurate as to like how we can be. So when I think of the modern man and like what I love to really speak about and hopefully inspire in so many kids is that we can be kind of all of those things. And there are no rules or regulations or right or wrong way of what box we have to fit in. And I think there's something really cool about being able to to go play sports and then have a really tough conversation and maybe get really sad and just kind of like experience that full range of life like I was talking about with kind of the meaning of Mad Happy. Yeah, I mean, when I think about why mental health stigma exists in a different way for men, I think about how there's this kind of double whammy where there is the stigma of having feelings, period, that I think a lot of men feel. And then there is the stigma of struggling, period, that I think a lot of men feel. So to be in a position where you're struggling with your emotional life, there's just not historically been a lot of room for men to be public and to reach for support around struggling with their emotional life. What's that look like for you? And how did you move through that or overcome that throughout your life? Yeah, that's a great point. I think the biggest thing is the association of struggling with weakness and anything that makes you seem weak in any way you want to try and avoid and never speak about and never share. And that is something that I kind of didn't understand until later in life of struggling actually being not only a realistic part of life, but inevitable, like having that ability to be 
vulnerable is actually such a sign of courage. And I think for men, especially, they will do whatever it takes to just put on that facade of being very strong and kind of being rock solid on the outside and like never showing that weakness. And I think now it's like really reflected like tenfold in just all of the stats of, you know, I think it's three fourths of suicides in the country are like men. Obviously, it's so much harder for them to seek treatment. And even when they do seek treatment, like it's very hard to get them to open up about things. So we really see it like reflected in a lot of data when it comes to mental health across the country, too. So that's why I feel like it's such an important thing to talk about. And it's come a little bit in these last few years, but obviously really still like a massive stigma around it. Yeah. And I mean, the stigma exists for everyone, but I do think there's something particular to people who identify as men in our culture that it's just not, there's not quite as much permission to lean into that. I know in terms of your mental health journey, something you're really outspoken about, which I think is really important for people who might feel alone in it is a struggle with sex and love addiction. Mm -hmm. Would you be willing to share a little bit about what that has looked like for you and how you kind of step toward a healthier version of yourself around that? Yeah, totally. That's something that I didn't really recognize in myself until three or four years ago. You know, I think it's hard for a lot of people to really understand what love addiction even means and like how it's even real. You know, I think we all have an innate need to want to be liked and loved. And I think on surface that can seem like a very real thing. And I think the way that it kind of manifested for me is I never really felt myself at school. And I think when you're a kid, you're always looking for like, what's my thing, right? What's that label that I'm going to put on my chest that people are going to know me by when they talk about me that I'm good at, that my parents can talk about to their friends and like really be proud of. And I never really had that thing as a kid. I had a brother who was much smarter than me and went through puberty before me and was kind of bigger and faster and stronger and all of these things. So I kind of felt like I was in his shadow. And one of the things that really first started to give me attention and like really make me feel value was from women and was from girls kind of flirting with me or telling me that they thought I was cute or all these different things. I mean, I think it kind of happened to me at that perfect sweet spot of like getting a cell phone and the internet and like some social media and all these things where that attention and that communication became so much more accessible. And I didn't realize it at the time, obviously, but since I was an early teen, that was how I was getting all of my self-worth and like self-value and really how I was masking all of my self-esteem issues and all of my insecurities. So obviously with that really going unaddressed, you know, I move into my late teenage and like early 20 years and that starts to kind of escalate. Drugs and alcohol come into the mix. As you get older, you know, you start to experiment more sexually and romantically and like things kind of escalate in that sense. And before I knew it, I had really just built a world where I was just getting all of my self-worth from other people and always having to be in relationships and always having to be talking to people on the side to really just make me feel like I had this kind of web of people who needed me and wanted me so that I would really never feel alone. And it wasn't until I hit my rock bottom where I had gotten out of a very serious relationship because of some infidelity and just because my addiction was raging so hard that I even heard of sex and love addiction for the first time, right? So like the fact that I was struggling with it for so long had pretty much been in therapy almost that whole time and never was really familiar with it. It was kind of one of those moments where I was reading like the 12 steps of SLAA, which is Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And it's just like every single one I felt was just written exactly for me in that moment. So finding that program was really huge and and really helpful. And then I went away to treatment and I was able to really start to unpack all of those things as a kid that I experienced that kind of led to me going out and seeking that attention. And I think ultimately what I've realized, which has been really helpful, is that 
that addiction and all of my struggles, that wasn't the problem. You know, that was just the solution to another problem. And I think it's really understanding that and going deeper to the root of everything that has allowed me to kind of reduce my shame around it and ultimately be able to really champion it and kind of just have the full perspective of my experience. Yeah, that feels really important. Along that journey, what role did the therapy play in you coming to this realization and thinking about what to do about it? I've always had kind of like a hot and cold relationship with therapy. I first started when I was like seven years old. My mom put me in. um, So I kind of like grew up knowing how to like talk in those rooms and like operate in those rooms. And I think it always kind of ebbed and flowed of like, I would just kind of show up and get my way through the session and not really feel motivated to be there. And with my kind of like emotional toolbox and like vernacular, I was able to kind of just keep things going and maybe just not really be my true self and not have a lot of integrity in those rooms. And then there'd be moments where I was actually struggling and I had to really be honest and really show up and be present in those rooms. But for me, I've just found that like, if I'm not motivated in my core to actually be there and want to be honest and want to do something, it doesn't matter if I'm going every single day, like I'm not going to get anywhere. So for me, it's really more about just how I'm feeling and my motivation than what therapist or how often or what modality or anything like that. Yeah, I definitely agree. If a person doesn't want to be in that room, then it's not going to go anywhere because ultimately the therapist isn't the answer. The therapist is supporting the person and finding those answers within themselves. So that makes sense to me. Another thing you said that makes a lot of sense to me that I think is really important is the idea that the things that we do in an addictive way or in a compulsive way are not usually in and of themselves the true problem. They're a manifestation of the problem and they can become a problem. The behavior itself can become problematic, but just eliminating the problem doesn't fix things. You have to understand what was I trying to not feel? What was I trying to turn away from or cover up or fill in myself, that kind of thing. So as you did that exploration and, you know, with love and sex addiction, it's complicated because it's not like with alcohol addiction where you can just not drink altogether for a while. You know, we can't get through life without love and sex is a really important part of life for most of us. How did you learn to have a healthier relationship with those things versus an unhealthy or no relationship with those things? Yeah, that's a good point and definitely what makes it super difficult, obviously, just because it's so omnipresent everywhere in our life. And just, you know, you're going to see the opposite sex a million times a day just out in the world. So it's really unavoidable. I think for me, it was really about kind of building my world as best as I can to just set myself up for the best chance of success, right? So really like noticing the things that would maybe send me down a path, some flags in my life, you know? So I think the biggest things were like deleting certain apps off my phone, limiting screen time on my phone, really trying to like cut out things like pornography or like certain like social situations that I knew would kind of trigger me. I definitely really had to look at my friend group, really identify like what people in my life were making me feel good and were really kind of allowing me to be my true self. And I think after I got back these last few years, my circle has definitely gotten smaller and for the better. And then I think just taking life a little bit slower and really stopping for those in-between moments. Like when you speak about what am I avoiding that's making me go do that? So like I'm really trying to anytime I get a thought or an urge to really pause and then ask myself, what am I feeling that is instantly making me want to go over there and do this thing or pick up that drink or whatever it may be for you. And if I can identify that, right, that's the real issue that I need to work on. And it's a super hard habit and it feels really weird at first and I'm still not great at it, but that's currently like what I'm trying to master. Yeah. I think a lot about the idea that if we want to know why we do anything, 
we should stop doing it and see how we feel. Yeah. If you want to know why you smoke too much, if you want to know why you drink too much, if you want to know why you eat too much, stop doing it for a moment and see how you feel. What comes up? What feelings are you trying to numb or avoid or turn away from? So it sounds like you're in the process of practicing that almost as a meditation, kind of checking in with herself in those moments. Totally. Something else you mentioned too is that, you know, it sounds like all the things that you just spoke to are really great ways of confronting, like you said, sort of the symptoms of the problem. What have you done to work on the root of the problem to learn how to accept love in other places and to be your own source of love instead of needing to find it in places that didn't feel healthy before? Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just going back and really learning about myself, you know, like we all have these stories of ourselves as kids that I think I was at least extremely disconnected with. So like, I think that like inner child work has been really incredible for me. And, you know, I was just like so surprised at how much that six, seven, eight, 12 year old version of myself was like kind of running the show up here or like the kid that was driving the car. And I think really doing a lot of different cool therapies and psychotherapies and kind of exercises like that to really kind of talk to myself and relive some of these experiences and, you know, doing things like EMDR and just kind of really seeing like what comes up and really getting to know myself and my story and being able to contextualize as to how these events that I might not even think about on a daily basis or consciously even remember are like really drastically affecting my present day life and like my behaviors um, has been a game changer. And I think just like, you know, forgiveness in that regard, like really being able to just learn a lot more about myself in that way, I think is like super powerful and is like something that's so fascinating to me about it for everyone. Cause like we all have these like little versions of ourselves and all these suppressed memories that we never think about, but are like having a huge impact on our lives every day. Oh, I so agree. We carry our child self along with us. And if that child needs something, it will find a way to be known so we can meet those needs and have self-compassion. So totally. I love that approach. Yeah. These days, what are your self-care non-negotiables? What do you need to be doing in an ongoing way, whether it's physical health or mental health? What do you do to make sure you're in the best possible position to be supporting this big community of the mad happy population? Totally. I think the three three biggest things for me is one, being outside. I think just like spending time in nature, whatever that means, you know, even if it's like a walk around the block in the office in sweaty downtown Los Angeles, like that still kind of lets me get my fix in. I think that sometimes people think for spending time outdoors, you have to be in like a national park or like where there's no cell phone service or whatever, but really just getting outside and just feeling some sun on my face is really helpful. The second one is playing some sort of like sport or activity, kind of like breaking a sweat. So I really love tennis. I love pickleball. I just started playing basketball again, which has felt really good. So kind of more of that like inner child stuff, playing games, you know, being outside, running around, sort of that like youthful nature of just like sport and competition. And then the last one for me is watching movies. I try and watch at least a couple of movies every week, just because that's really like a pastime for me and my family and just like loving film and just being able to kind of tune out and also feel inspired creatively and moved emotionally was a huge piece for me. So those are probably my, my three non-negotiables, I'd say. I love that. Nature, exercise, and movies. That's a good trio. Yeah. What are yours? Oh, good question. Let's see. Mine are probably therapy, community, and sleep. Yeah. If I don't get eight hours of sleep every night, I'm a mess. So those are probably my three. And when you say community, is that just like checking in with loved ones and like your support system and stuff? 
I think it's ongoing time with other people. I think I'm a true yeah. extrovert and getting to see my loved ones regularly and spend time together. And then also definitely asking for support when I need it, knowing that there is a group of people who, you know, we all have each other's back, I think helps me feel really grounded in the world. And that's family and friends and my work community. And it looks like many different things. That's great. Yeah. So what advice do you have for, let's say men in particular, who want to confront their mental health struggles, but are scared to or are feeling the stigma of it? What would you say to them? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. I think what I would say is that, you know, just thinking logically and like rationally, um, like it's a part of your life. It's not like it doesn't apply to you or if you make X amount of money or if, you know, you date this girl or you have this car that like it won't affect you. Something that will affect everyone in the world almost every single day. So just thinking about it like that, why wouldn't you want to kind of have something in place to be able to support you when those things come up? You know, I would really encourage people to think about it in the same way as, as physical health. And I know that we really beat that like a drum, but I think it really is kind of the best visualization for people to realize of like, if you had a broken leg or a sprained ankle or like any sort of thing like that, you would go get it checked out. So you could go about the rest of your life and you could still walk around and do whatever you needed to do. And our feelings really do weigh on the psyche and the body and our conscious in the same way. So even if you can't see it, it's there. And I think for better, for worse, it will eventually rear its ugly head in some way, someday. So I think it's better to just kind of be realistic with yourself and be practical and just know that it's a normal part of the human experience. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you or you're crazy or X, Y, and Z and all of these things. And I think if you have anyone in your life who isn't willing to kind of listen to that and who kind of makes you feel bad for expressing that, maybe you should reevaluate some of those relationships. I mean, I think really being kind to yourself and loving yourself and just knowing that, you know, it's something that we all share to me has been like really empowering and like just kind of made me feel like I have a more of a sense of belonging and community. That's beautifully said. Speaking of community, who supports you? What does community look like in your life? I feel like I, I kind of bucket in into like a few different places. I think first with like work, my two partners, Payment and Noah, I think are huge support systems for me. It's been really interesting, like navigating those relationships from like being best friends to being business partners and to really, you know, agreeing to go on this journey together and like really work really hard and dedicate our lives to it, I think has changed the dynamic of our relationships a lot, but they've just been huge pillars for me when I was in and out of treatment, you know, picking up some of the slack and have just been really great for me, especially with what the mission of our company is, having it be so personal to me. I think I feel really blessed to be able to talk about these things for a living. Next, I would say my family. Like I said, I have four brothers and sisters, so it's a really big family. I have aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents, and really just family has been such a big part of my life for as long as I can remember. So I'm very appreciative for that. And I think especially having siblings who are close to me in age has been huge when I talk about the inner child stuff and all the family of origin, like to unlock some of the clues kind of with them makes me feel like I'm not going through it by myself. And like, those are the only people who really understand like, you know, what it was like to be a kid under my roof. So those relationships have been huge. And then just some close friends and romantic relationships have been really huge. You know, I have a best friend who's been my roommate for the last five years, who's really been my rock in a lot of ways. So I it's interesting. I've noticed as my circle kind of got smaller, I'll find myself going back more to people that I've known the longest. A lot of people who aren't from LA, which I think is interesting, and people who really just accept me for who I am and 
kind of have a similar perspective on life as me. Yeah, it's really lovely. Thank you for yeah. sharing all of that. And the way that we generally end our Taboo Tuesdays is that I'm going to pull up a list of questions that are taboo questions about all kinds of different topics. Read them over, pick one that you like, and read it out loud, okay. and then answer it. I'll go with the second one. What is something you're secretly very proud of yourself for? I want to answer this one because it was the one that I wanted to answer the least. I think I've had a huge problem with feeling proud of myself and like feeling accomplished just because I deal with a lot of insecurities and struggles. That's never been something that's really registered for me. I've noticed since Mad Happy started getting successful, it seems like everyone else in my life is so much more excited for my own life mm. than I am, which I've been working on. So I guess I just want to say that I'm secretly proud of myself, I guess, for just working really hard and really learning as, as much as I can and keeping an open mind and really like dedicating everything I have to building this community and building this brand and really trying to inspire as many people as we can to take their own mental health more seriously. Just talk about it with your friends, uh, you know, feel optimistic, feel the power of positivity through our apparel, our content, or coming into one of our stores and really just this whole world that we're trying to build and this movement as a whole, which is really just getting started and I think is bigger than any of us can even really comprehend. So I'm proud of myself for that. As you should be. And thank you for sharing that and definitely recommend everyone go check out Mad Happy. Mason, thank you so much for being here today. And I really appreciate the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for doing this show. It's super important and inspires me all the time. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Emotionally Fit, hosted by me, Dr. Emily Anhalt. New Taboo Tuesdays drop every other week. How did today's taboo subject land with you? Tweet your experience with the hashtag EmotionallyFit and follow me at Dr. Emily Anhalt. Please rate, review, follow, and share the show wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is produced by Koa, your gym for mental health where you can take live therapist-led classes online. From group sessions to therapist matchmaking, Koa will help you build your emotional fitness routine. Head to joincoa.com, that's joincoa.com, to learn more and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at joincoa. From Studio Pod Media in San Francisco, our producer is Katie Soonku Wood. Music is by Milano. Special thanks to the entire Koa crew.